Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to finish off our interview with Dr Camilla Kingdon, the new president of the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. Two of our Dragon Bites presenters, Stacey Harris and Hannah Davis, were lucky enough to be joined by Camilla a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to the first half of this episode, that was released last week, so please go back and have a listen to that first. Anyway, let's get started. So importantly for me is... um, what do you think the role of trainees and trainee reps should be in the college? As a, as a yeah, college member and a, a trainee rep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, I, I've frequently thought that trainees are essentially the, the canary in the lift shaft. I know that sounds a bit kind of gloomy, but if we don't listen to our trainees and indeed if we don't listen to our junior nurses, um, we are missing the early warning signs of when things are not as good as they could be. Um, now that sounds a bit negative because, of course, trainees can also give us good news and 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 you know can shout out about things that are going well. But I think if at the end of the day, as doctors, we're here to do the best for our patients, if that essentially is our um, kind of reason um, for uh, you know raison d'être, as, as it were, then. Um, listening to trainees who are right at, on the coalface and, and, and interacting with them meaningfully is absolutely fundamental to safe patient care. So I think um, an organisation that doesn't listen to their junior doctors and their junior nurses is missing a, a massive trick. And, and certainly in both my role as head of school in London, but actually more recently I've been the guardian of safe working in, in my trust and have tried really hard to kind of amplify the voice of junior doctors um, because and we work in very complicated organizations now and for the medical director and the chief exec how could they possibly know what's going on across you know the, the length and breadth of their organization but if they've got a in an engaged junior doctor group um, they will know what's going on because um, their, their juniors will tell them. So in the same way at the college, we desperately need engaged trainees to be able to tell us, do you know what, I'm a bit worried about such and such, or this is brilliant and it's working really, really well, we need to do more of it. Um, without that kind of intelligence, um, we will be blinded to some real opportunities to improve, um, uh, and, and I, I just think um, it, it, it's got to be fundamental to the way we where we work. Um, so I think the more opportunities we can create for trainees and more broadly junior doctors, because I, I think it's really important that we think about all junior doctors, not just people on HEE training programs. The more we can engage with them, give them opportunities to join groups, be heard, the richer the 
conversation will be, the more we'll all learn and the better potentially we can make it for us and for the services in which we work and ultimately therefore the patients we look after. So I think it's it's just fundamental to good team working. And, and I, I don't really know why. It's a funny that you even asked that question, because for me, it's just kind of so self-evident that that should be core business for us. And I, yeah. and I sort of almost feel sorry that you've asked that question because it almost implies that there isn't enough opportunity or that it might be seen as a sort of thrill or an optional extra when it, it shouldn't be. We should be actively engaging with all our members. But I think the trainees in particular give us a lens um, on, on areas of our profession that are really valuable. Um, and so, for instance, uh, Laura Kelly and I, Laura's chair of the trainees committee you know we now have a date in the diary and we meet up every two months um I just I th I'm sure I get more out of it than she does um but you know <laughs> it's amazing. it's just about it, just spending an hour together just you know bouncing ideas around and you know yeah. thinking about the, the meeting last week that didn't go so well or what could we have done better or what are people saying about such and such um I think that's I I think for me, collaborative leadership is fundamental to the, to the certainly the way I work, um, and most people that I admire in leadership positions work very, very collaboratively. Um, and and I think um, Camilla, you're talking about um, the pillars of compassionate leadership. So I've been learning about that about attending, right? Um, yes, because uh, they've just launched them in in Wales, and um, yeah, that's very much the sort of first pillar is uh, really really listening to you know who you're leading yes absolutely um because you know at the end of the day um nobody in a leadership position is they may be an expert in a little area but there's going to be huge aspects to the work they do that actually they know very little about um but that's actually okay as long as they have people around them and they're in listening mode that that's a that's a brilliant leadership style and i don't think anybody embarking on a leadership role should be worried about not being an expert in all the topics that they are kind of covering um you just need to get the right people in the team enable them and make sure we're all listening to each other and that's the recipe for success um so and i think as pediatricians we're quite good at that because we're used to working in flat hierarchies across teams you know, I, I think it probably comes a little bit more naturally to us than maybe some of the other specialties. So I think training engagement is just fundamental to, to all of that. And at the college, there actually are lots of opportunities, for, well, for all members to get involved, I, um, but and especially trainees. And, and, and I've been delighted, for instance, in our equality, diversity and inclusion work and also in our climate change working group. The level of engagement that we've had has been absolutely fantastic, and the energy that people are putting into the, the various work streams in these in these two big projects um, is just fantastic, and uh, it's a win-win, isn't it? Um, hopefully, they're getting some good stuff out of it and connecting with people and meeting, you know, new new um, faces and so on. But for for a college, it's that's the way to do it, and it's just been fantastic to watch. Um, and I think we're going to get some really great stuff, particularly out of those two groups. I'm really excited about that. That's brilliant. And if there was anybody listening who was particularly interested in getting involved with the college, is there any uh, advice you'd give them? So, I, I mean, the, 
they, we, we always have empty posts roles you know at the, at the college so the, there's an area on the website that will list all the vacant um, roles and um, so that's one way of doing it um, and then you know there's if you if you're willing and keen I would just you know contact Laura's chair of the trainees committee let me know because there's we, we, we're always we're frankly always shorter people to to do stuff because there's all this you know, the sky's the limit as to the amount of work we can do um and the number of times trainees have just dropped me an email and then some piece of work has come up and i've suddenly thought oh that would be perfect and they you know get them involved so i think people should be free to just sort of say do you know here i am really keen to get involved what can i do and you know i'll say well come and join the conference committee or you know do you want to join an edi work stream or you know we've got some at the moment we've got a lot of um, undergraduate careers fairs happening where the college sends people to you know give a shout out for pediatrics it would be amazing if we had some junior doctors join us for that yeah. so you know there are just so many examples of small little things bigger projects um there's a, you know there's, there's lots happening it's exciting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um so um t twitter is amazing and um i know that you're on twitter and uh, i'm fairly new to twitter but i've just, it's just really opened my eyes and really helped me to connect with other members of um, the royal college um and i learned so much get so many ideas and noticed on there that you uh, said that your guiding motto was um is it ubuntu how do you say how do you say it ubuntu Ubuntu yeah okay Ubuntu yes, and right. uh, yeah. it sounded very intriguing um and I wondered if you could sort of elaborate on what 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 it is and what, what that what it means to you so um I've been on a bit of a, a journey with this so um I'm, I'm originally from South Africa and Ubuntu is a southern African word um it, it's 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 either it's Zulu or Kosa so they're they're, they're two big tribes in South Africa are the Kosa and the Zulu, and they have a lot of aspects of their language that are shared. Kosa clicks, Zulu doesn't, but, but they have a lot of shared words. Ubuntu is a word that they both, both tribes use, and it literally means I am because we are. So this is this concept of kind of belonging and of humanity and of kinship. And um, the the if you extrapolate it into kind of anglo-saxon language the word the the origin of the word kinship is kind and it's where we get the word kind from and ubuntu and kindness essentially are all speaking to the same idea of of connecting um, and understanding our our humanity and the reason i think this is so fundamental um to the way we are as human beings, but particularly currently in the context of medicine and how we relate to each other and how we relate to the um, patients and families that we look after, is that kindness or Ubuntu allows us, if we just spend a couple of extra seconds trying to connect with people, to kind of invest on a, on a level um, that allows us to tap into each other's um, emotions, feelings, um, and and create relationships that are, are much more likely to be sustaining and, and meaningful. And this is not a sort of soft and fluffy kind of touchy feely thing. 
This is absolutely fundamental um, to how teams work successfully um, and how we successfully work with, with our patients. And where people have genuinely paid attention to this and been thoughtful about how they connect um, using the principles of what, what are now essentially is essentially called intelligent kindness because there's now an increasing kind of literature and evidence base for this you can actually demonstrate improved staff morale um, better staff retention better patient outcomes um, highest levels of patient safety and so you start discovering that you have what what the authors of the big pieces of work around this topic call the virtuous circle. So as we spend a little bit more time and energy thinking about each other as, as human beings and how we can connect meaningfully as fellow human beings, if you give that a bit of extra attention, so you develop this virtuous circle, um, which has all these positive spin-offs. Spin um, now, now, that sounds incredibly kind of theoretical, uh, but I'll, I'll give you an example. I was chatting to a colleague um, just uh, on Monday, and he's a paediatrician in, in West London um, and is very involved in engaging with the local community. And you'll be familiar with the fact that Grenfell Tower is in West London and, you know, the, the catastrophe that, that happened there. And they currently are having a lot of problems with vaccine hesitancy. So the really struggling to get some people living in that part of West London to take up the COVID vaccine. And he was talking about how he was applying the principles of intelligent kindness to essentially engage with the local communities to really try and understand why is it that they are unwilling or hesitant about taking the COVID vaccine and starting to unpick all sorts of um, issues some of the aspects of what happened at Grenfell Tower and the sort of loss of trust amongst the local community in figures in, or of, you know, in positions of authority and how that then eats away at people's ability to then confidently take up a vaccine because we're all being told to do so, as it were. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a really brilliant example of where if you can tap into people's lived reality and really start understanding why is it that you wouldn't want to take this vaccination, which you know, to you and I seems such an obvious thing to do. If you can try and understand why it is, then you can start um, addressing those concerns and hopefully um, helping those people make a better, more informed decision about whether to take, take up the COVID vaccine or not. So I thought that was just a brilliant example of a little bit of extra investment of time and energy in, in that kind of human connection um, effort, how it can really cause you know, give rise to extraordinary benefits for everybody. So I, I'm very compelled by this concept. Um, and I think particularly as we come out of this disastrous pandemic, um, you know, everybody is, is carrying a lot of emotional baggage as a result of it. You know, some of our, we've lost colleagues. Um, many of our colleagues have lost loved ones. You know, um, there's a there are a lot of people um, who who you know are in a, in a who've been very hurt and 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 damaged, I guess, by the by the pandemic. So there's never been a time when this I don't think this hasn't has been could you know th this is such an important time to be connecting in a different kind of way because I just don't think the status quo is going to 
do um, going forward. We, we have to find a different way of working um, with each other and with our patients. So that's a very long answer to your question, Stacey, but that's essentially where Ubuntu comes from. Um, you know, in South Africa, they use the principles of Ubuntu as we came out of apartheid, where, you know, so many people had been so appallingly treated. And it was very difficult to imagine how South Africa was ever going to cross that divide, where there was just you know, generations of anger and hatred and mistrust, both on the white and the black side. And Desmond Tutu, um, who who's a big proponent of Ubuntu, embarked on this extraordinary campaign of what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Campaign, where they actually brought victims and perpetrators of horrible things together and, and helped facilitate conversations so that they could understand the lived reality of these two different existences and trying to help people bridge that gap. And they had some, ex you know, I'm not pretending they fixed all the hatred and all the problems, but there were some remarkable stories that came from that of people who were sworn and bitter enemies who came to understand what it was like to be in the other person's shoes and actually how healing that can be because actually living with hatred is exhausting mm. um, and, and from a sort of psychological perspective you know damaging so actually to help people overcome that in a, in a really deep kind of way is 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 very healing so I, I I'm very compelled by it and I'm I'm absolutely convinced um, it, it could be um, a, a really really kind of important way of moving forward I can't think of a better motto. I know. I'm uh, feeling, uh, yeah, a bit speechless, really, because that is really, really, really beautiful. Um, hearing you talk about all that. about, really, isn't it? Yeah. Other things to come from Twitter, also, girls, are the uh, <laughs> questions from our members. Uh, oh, who right. <laughs> I've only a few. Interesting questions for you. So one of them is, what was your biggest fear uh, when taking up this president role? Um, I think my biggest fear, and it probably will be throughout the, th the three years that I'm um, president, is... My biggest fear is kind of inertia and cynicism amongst paediatricians. I, I have, I think the college, um, you know, what is the college? The college is all of us. We are the college. The college, okay, it's a building in Hoban, um, but actually the college is its 20,000 members. And I suppose my biggest fear is that if I can't harness people's enthusiasm and kind of desire to engage with each other and um, work towards improving child health, improving the workforce, being the best role models we can um, in order to recruit people into the specialty, helping us understand where the problems are in, in, the, in the career path of a paediatrician. You know, nobody's pretending it's all you know, starry and roses and fantastic. You know, we have some real challenges as paediatricians that we need to address to make the life course of a paediatrician, you know, more sustaining. But we can only do that if people are prepared to come, roll up their sleeves, get stuck in, tell us about the things that are terrible, tell us about some ideas that work well, share their enthusiasm and energy. And so my biggest fear is inertia and kind of people just sitting 
cynically on the sidelines, kind of happy to moan, but not happy to come and get stuck in. That for me, if I looked back after three years and didn't feel um, that I'd managed to engage people, I would I would be very, very disappointed in myself. Um, so that's my biggest fear. And the second question, Stace, you had? Um, so um, so you've, you've uh, only been in the post for two um, weeks. Um, uh, but has there any, has there been anything that's been surprising to you, like any perks of the jobs at all? A perk of the job was well, so, somebody did ask me whether the college have an incredible wine cellar, and I'm yet to find it. I, I wish I could say I'd found the wine cellar. I have discovered that the the president has a very very nice office with a huge desk with a sort of leather inlay. Um, and I've never had an office in my life before because I share with six other people in my hospital and we've, you know, used to being like a whole lot of sardines. Um, so this is just the most extraordinary luxury. So I can't wait. At the moment, the college is open one day a week. So I'm trying, I'm trying to go in every Thursday to take advantage of this office. But, um, by September, when the college is opened, um, you know, five days a week I'll be going in and, and hoping I'll be happy to entertain you in my office because it's got a very nice table with chairs a, it's so cellar. everyone brings a bottle when they come visit you yes. and then you'll have and then you're that will yes. be your legacy as you start <laughs> the college. That's a brilliant <laughs> idea. and then there'll never be any gaps in the <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is the secret <laughs> maybe it is why didn't we think of that fantastic yes so please, please come and join me in the office um, in in Hoban when you're next up in London because it's great. Yeah, but, maybe um, you know, the, I mean, yeah, yes, absolutely. But 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 the great thing about it that I've discovered just in the last two and a half weeks is actually, and it comes back to the kind of kindness thing. People have been so kind to me. I, you know, I, I um, it's just been really, really touching. The the little messages I've had. And people who really reached out in a not just a kind of well done, etc., but but sort of said, um, a, a health visitor contacted me uh, the other day and said she's the chief executive of the Institute of Health Visiting, fabulous, fabulous lady, and she said, "How's it going? Um, you've just become president." And I said something like, "You know, I'm two weeks in, and I think I'm still standing." And she said, "I think you're more than standing. You're doing really well." And actually, do you know, I just thought. That is such a lovely thing to say. And, you know, um, you know, there's some really, really good, nice people out there. And, uh, yeah, so there's, there are plenty of examples like that. And um, that's been really lovely. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because it is, you know, any new job, as you, as you will both know, you know, it's a bit scary. And you kind of think, am I, am I good enough? Will I be able to do this? Have I done the right thing? You know, all those kind of questions. And then to have the odd person say things like that, you just think, wow, it'll be all right because there's some great people out there and we're kind of all in this together and, it, you know, it'll, we'll be all right. So that's that's a really nice feeling. Uh, yeah, that's lovely. Um, and um, it seems that uh, cake baking, it seems to be a very big part of being a pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's ash, isn't it? kidney ash yes. uh, 
and uh, he <laughs> he's doing something in the conference, isn't he? And everyone's making all of these cakes. It's wonderful to see. Um, so uh, I was wondering what your favourite cake is. Well, you know, I've seen that cake that Ash um, has, the Panata cake that's in, in mm. Milestones this month, and a few people have been tweeting their, their versions. And I'm just amazed because I, I have to confess I haven't tried to make that cake yet and I do love baking but the thought of making four layers with different colors I mean I can can you just imagine what the kitchen would look like <laughs> at the end of it and and all the bowls and all the washing up but um no I, I, I love baking but sadly my um I have two daughters the younger one lives on beans on toast basically and couldn't care two hoots about anything to do with cooking but the elder one Rachel who's 21 is a brilliant cook and she's rapidly becoming a better baker than me which actually really upsets and annoys me um, but her red velvet cake is to die for and it's now officially better than my carrot cake which was previously the best cake <laughs> in our family so I'm very I'm very upset to be able to, to have to tell you that but yeah her red velvet mm. to the point that um my youngest daughter's birthday is in July and, and I'm really cheesed off because she's asked Rachel to bake the cake for us rather than me. So <laughs> it's the ultimate insult. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Oh, I yeah. could talk I we could talk for hours. I yeah, there's so many things we could talk about. Um yeah. Camille, I just want to say that honestly, your humility, your passion, your Ubuntu. Uh, I'm <laughs> excited for the next three years. I really am and I'm oh. so glad it is so wonderful as um I just see something I suppose it's just a female leader thing isn't it you know you see you see when you see it kind of like you know it's inspiring and wonderful oh (laughs) well and I think it's a a female leadership thing is a strange one because I think I think it was um Jacinda Ardern wasn't it who was asked about this and I think her response was that it's not actually female leadership it's a kind of feminine style of leadership and men can do it as well. So it's it's not actually exclusive exclusive in that in that kind of way. And I think I think that is right, because I think there's some you know, there's some brilliant men um in pediatrics um who espouse all the things that I think that you know we've been talking about this afternoon. Um and on the subject of men, um we do need we do need um to be sure that we are still attracting great men into our specialty. Um because I think it's it's really important that we have a sort of balanced um, workforce. And I think it's absolutely terrific that we're now more female dominant than male dominant. But it would be nice to get it into a position whereby, you know, we were attracting great men, great women um, into, you know, to working with us um, so that we can make sure that our teams are balanced, not just balanced in terms of gender, but, you know, across mindsets and outlooks on life and you I think that makes for a rich team is when you've got diversity lots of yeah it's a uh, diversity amazing exactly There's lots of evidence for it isn't there exactly yeah 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 okay awesome so uh thank you I think I I think yeah I feel like we've spoken about so many wonderful things do you think you've got a, you've got enough yeah, to absolutely. Make <laughs> I think it's gonna be a really this. lovely podcast thank you so much And I just wanted to say thank you yet again to Dr. Camilla Kingdon for taking time out of her very busy schedule to come speak with us. As Hannah and Stacey made really clear during that interview, we're all very excited to have Camilla as our new president and looking forward to seeing what the next three years brings. 
That's all for this episode of Dragon Bites. We're going to take a brief hiatus over July so as we can rest a little bit. So join us again in August where we'll be back with some fresh new episodes for you. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.